0: I want to say on behalf of my wife, uh, Kelsey, and our children, Kyson, uh, Lincoln, and Kinsley, how much we appreciate the invitation you've extended to us to come uh, be here. We love coming here in terms of a place where we have uh, people that we admire, look up to, that have been mentors and examples to us, people that we consider to be our peers and close friends. This place is as highly concentrated as any place that we travel to. And so we have been looking forward very much to being here uh, with you. We've had this circled on our calendar. We weren't sure if this was actually going to happen. It's been a very interesting time, very interesting time to have a baby. Kind of interesting that last time we were here for a meeting in 2015, our oldest, Kyson was the age of our youngest, our newborn, Kinsley. It seems to be a pattern. We have a baby, and then we come here for a meeting. And I wouldn't mind continuing that pattern on into the future. My wife would say she wouldn't mind. She would enjoy continuing to come here, but not to expect a newborn Uh, next time that we come. We'll see how that uh, turns out. But even though uh, the meeting might not be exactly what we envisioned a few months ago even... For what we experienced back in 2015 in terms of some of the activities and the fellowship. Hopefully all of us at the end of the week will still be able to say this was meaningful, this was worthwhile, this was time well spent, that we would be edified and encouraged in our faith as I am confident my family and I will feel as we leave this place later in the week. One of the blessings we've counted during this pandemic personally is that I've been able to telework from home And so with the timing of how this has all played out, I've been able to enjoy the first several weeks and months of Kinsley's life. And uh, one of the things I've done, I get up really early in the morning before everyone else gets up so I can get a head start while there's still peace and quiet in the house. And what that also allows me to do is I get to hear my boys uh, stir and rise in the morning and they will stay in their rooms for a little bit. They share a room and uh, they will talk and have conversation and it's uh, talk about the issues of life and have some really deep conversations and it can be uh, very entertaining and amusing depending upon uh, what side of the bed they get up on. They'll get after each other a little bit. The tenor and tone of those conversations can uh, vary uh, drastically. But one particular morning, I heard a lot of noise coming out of their room, but it was pleasant noise It sounded like they were having a church service and they were singing, be strong and courageous. And then after the song was over, Kyson went into a sermon to Lincoln about how we sang that song because you need to be strong and courageous. And certainly they sensed there is some uncertainty, there is some fear. Lincoln recently has started talking about monsters and there's a monster in my room and there's a monster. And so Kyson told Lincoln, God is bigger than your monster. God is bigger than Goliath. And God is undefeated. If you get on God's team, you will win. And I thought that's a very relevant message at any time, but certainly in these times, and it's that message I want to share with you for a little while this morning. One of the toughest things about going different places is picking a theme or picking topics to talk about. And I wasn't assigned a theme. I didn't come up with a theme, but as I began to select kind of a smorgasbord, trying to have a well-rounded selection of topics, we're going to get into some apologetics, and some doctrine, and salvation, and Christian living, and encouragement, but they're independent, they stand alone, but as I zoomed out a few days ago, I realized the topics I selected for this week very loosely relate under the theme of biblical accounts and stories and characters, maybe we've heard all our lives, maybe we've read multiple times, but maybe there's Meat on the bone, some additional truths left for us to discover and apply into our lives. And so we want to talk about the story of David and Goliath, the concept of facing your giant. And this particular story has inspired people of all ages from the day it was fought till today. In fact, as a child, I would have told you my favorite story in the Bible was the story of David and Goliath. And I was probably not an exception to that. This story is so familiar that even secular confrontations from politics to athletics are often termed in David and Goliath terminology. God's people over the years have drawn strength and courage to dig down deep and face their giant and fight the good fight of faith based upon the principles and lessons that are contained within this story. And we intend to do the same for a little while This morning. Want to give a quick overview. We don't have time to read First Samuel chapter 17 in its entirety. Would encourage you to do that. But to provide some context as we extract key verses throughout this study as we talk about these lessons and principles, want to give a very quick overview. You have two armies once again, arch enemies squaring off in conflict. They're at a standstill. They're at a stalemate, 17 miles roughly southwest of Bethlehem and Jerusalem. And you had the Israelite camp on one hill, you had the Philistine camp on the other hill, and in between was a valley. And twice a day, for 40 days, a champion from the Philistine army, 10 foot tall, would go into that valley between the armies, and he would defy God, he would mock God and his people, and he challenged them. I have a solution to this problem. Instead of two armies fighting with much casualty, you send your champion to fight me, mano y mano, one-on-one, winner-take-all. And for 40 days, that challenge went unanswered. And we read that they were sorely afraid and greatly dismayed. A young boy named David was sent by his father to Saul's army to take provisions to his older brothers and to get news, bring back news. Any parent wanted to know how his, how his kids were doing. And so he gets there as Goliath is issuing this challenge, and David's appalled. As Goliath taunts God and taunts God's people, who's going to do something about this? Who's going to shut this guy up? Who's going to silence him? And his own brothers begin to make fun of him and begin to question his motives. We know why you're here. You came to see the battle. You're a naughty boy. You need to go home. And David looked at his brothers in the army of Israel and said, is there not a cause? Is there not something worth fighting for? Who's going to accept this challenge? And eventually he's taken to, the, to King Saul David said, God's delivered me time and time again. He will deliver me today. No doubt Saul must have been skeptical. And yet we see the desperation in Israel. Saul tries to equip David with his armor. It's too big. David said, I can't go with these. I haven't proved them. I haven't tested them. And so he goes to engage the enemy with a slingshot and five smooth stones. And Goliath is essentially insulted that they would send a boy to do a man's job. And he said, essentially, come over here. I'm going to give you a spanking. And David said, you come to me with weapons and armor, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. And he ran to engage the enemy. And one well-placed stone struck Goliath. David took Goliath's own sword, decapitated him. The children of Israel flip a switch. They now shout and pursue. The Philistines fled when they saw their champion was dead and they inflicted heavy casualties and won a great battle that day. And we want to use this story as a backdrop, talking about this concept of how we go about facing our own giants. And if we're going to talk about facing our giant, we have to begin by defining what is a giant. For the intents and purposes of our study this morning, we want to define a giant as any object or barrier that prevents or hinders or distracts from our primary God-given purpose in life. What is that? Next question, what's our God-given purpose? Ecclesiastes 12.13, Solomon, its ultimate book on the purpose and meaning of life. Final chapter, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Anything in your life that hinders or prevents or distracts you from fearing God and keeping His commandments, from glorifying God, showing God is important, showing God is number one, Whatever that is, whether that's money, a job, relationships, addictions, attitudes, false doctrine, whatever it is that prevents you from doing this is a giant that you have to deal with in your life. And we all have them. Maybe not on a literal battlefield, but we all have things that appear before us sometimes that seem insurmountable, that seem 10 feet tall. Even David, the one who faced and defeated the giant, sometimes felt like an underdog. But my enemies are lively and they are strong, and they that hate me wrongfully are multiplied. Maybe it's relationship problems. your spouse, your children, your in-laws, your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends. I want to tell you the solution to that is not literally five stones in a slingshot. Maybe loneliness. Maybe you've lost somebody in some way divorce, death, and you're experiencing very real and tremendous pain and suffering. Maybe you're having a hard time with reconciliation in relationships, forgiving people, forgiving yourself, dealing with your past. Maybe some of your problems are self-inflicted. Maybe you have a hard time daily controlling your temper, your tongue, and your thoughts. Maybe social media is a giant in your life. Maybe it's a giant you need to avoid altogether. (laughs) Maybe sometimes the giants that appear before us are in part the result of decisions that other people have made that have affected us, and we're dealing with that. Maybe time and chance. Evil, pain, and suffering, that's part of the human experience. We all face adversity in life, but we don't all respond to and handle adversity the same way. And so the question is, as a Christian, how can I handle my adversity in a way that will glorify God? in a way that allow me to fear God and keep His commandments. And I believe there are principles and lessons contained within this story that will teach us exactly how it is we accomplish that. And I think it starts with putting our faith and our trust and our confidence in God like David did. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. It's very important that we get this verse in its context. Talk about one of the verses that is greatly abused and taken out of context. I saw a meme the other day. I can do all things through taking verses out of context this verse obviously applies to that as much as any we're not talking about self-serving self-fulfilling things that's not the context it's not about winning Super Bowls or passing your calculus test if I get into the octagon ring with Philippians 4.13 on my arm and I look across the ring at somebody who outweighs me by a hundred pounds of muscle and he also has Philippians 4.13 who's going to win I'm not a gambler but I can tell you who I'm not betting on, this guy. And whenever we make Philippians 4.13 about getting what I want in life and self-fulfilling things that contradicts God's will for us in life, and we don't get those things that we want, we get disappointed, we get discouraged, and we quit. Paul's talking about life and death, and he says, no matter what life brings my way, I can do all things. I can endure whatever life throws at me because of Christ who strengthens me. Romans 8, What shall we then say to these things, if God be for us, who can be against us? Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing but ourselves. You know, one of the biggest misconceptions of this story is that somehow we have come to believe that David was the underdog. I talked about athletics, politics, David versus Goliath, meaning that whoever the David is is facing overwhelming odds. I want to tell you who the underdog was that day. It was a 10-foot-tall, uncircumcised Philistine giant who twice a day, for 40 days, cursed God and defied his people. And David was very much the favorite because if God be for us, who can be against us? And we all face these times in our life when what seemingly can't be done stands toe-to-toe and face-to-face with what must be done. And we love accepting challenges in life because those challenges make us stronger, make us better. The growth that takes place in the midst of that adversity when we come out on the other side with a sense of fulfillment and accomplishment. Think about the time you accepted the greatest challenge in your life and you became a Christian and you wanted to set the world on fire. We were ready to take on the world. We were ready to convert the world with with zeal and enthusiasm and optimism. We ran to engage the fight, to engage the enemy. What happened to us? What happened to our optimism, our enthusiasm, our zeal, our can-do spirit that David had that wanes over time and we get cynical in life and that can-do attitude becomes a can't-do attitude. We can't do that. I can't do that. We tried that before. That never works. That never works never worked. And if we are going to be victorious in this battle, in this fight... We have to have a courage and confidence in God that we see in David. There was no reason in the world from a worldly perspective that David should have had this confidence and courage. Yet he had something within him that gave him confidence. Psalm 23, verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Psalm 27, verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 118, verse 6, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? Fear is not the, or courage is not the absence of fear, but rather it's a perspective that there is someone in something that's greater than my fear worth fighting for. And that's why we engage. Fear is a reproach. Paralyzing fear is a reproach to God's people. It was a reproach to the army of God as they cowered and hid in the bushes for 40 days because of their lack of confidence and faith in God. Revelation 21.8, we don't talk about this aspect of the things that will cause us to end up in a lake of fire. The fearful and unbelieving. God has not given us a spirit of fear and we have to have a courageous and conquering faith. All too often we are wondering... In the wilderness, like the children of Israel, we are wondering when we should be conquering because of a grasshopper faith. As they scouted out the land and they said, we are like grasshoppers before these people. They were looking at the size of their obstacle, of their enemy, instead of the size of their God, and it gave them a grasshopper faith. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, as Samuel is sent to the house of Jesse to anoint the next king in Israel, and he assumes like Jesse... He didn't even bother to bring his youngest son with him, surely not David, that God's going to pick one of David's older, more impressive brothers. And yet the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on his height of his statue, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. This is one of the great lessons in this story, is that God judges and sees people differently than we do. While we would select people for task or leadership based on outward circumstances, outward appearances, how well-educated they are, how talented, how wealthy, how tall, how good-looking they are, God sees where we can't. God sees the heart. And if your heart is humble and right before God, He can use you in all of your smallness and your weakness and your imperfection to do great things because that's what God does. He takes the small and the weak to show His power and greatness. The next time you think God can't use you, we read that all the time. Rahab was a harlot. Noah was a drunk. David was an adulterer and a murderer, etc., etc. And we sometimes wonder, what could God possibly have saw in this man? He fell as often as he stood. He stumbled as often as he conquered. He stared down Goliath, yet he lusted after Bathsheba. He defied God-mockers in the valley, yet joined them in the wilderness. He could lead an army... But he can't, couldn't manage his family. And one of the great lessons in this story is that God can use us in all of our imperfection and all of our weakness if our heart is humble and right before God. God's not limited by outward appearances. Matthew 19, verse 26, "...but Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible." One of the next lessons we learn in this story is that God is seeking volunteers. I think one of the most powerful and convicting statements ever recorded in the Bible was when David turned to his brothers, his own family, who was making fun of him, and then to the whole army of Israel and said, Is there not a cause? Is there not a time to take a stand? Is there not a truth worth living for and even dying for? It's the cause that motivates us to volunteer for service in the army of the Lord. And fun making is not going to get it done. Eliab likely convicted, jealous of his brothers. Have we become Eliab? Have we become the armchair quarterback always making fun of people who care enough to compete while we stand on the sideline? You know, it's frustrating when people outside of our family and our Christian family make fun of us, but we expect that. Jesus told us to expect that. They're going to make fun of New Testament Christianity. They're going to make fun of us. They're going to call us names. And that's not unexpected. Maybe that doesn't discourage us, but what's very discouraging is friendly fire. Do you ever have any of that here? You want to know where the armchair quarterback is? Sitting in the armchair. Don't let that get you down. And maybe sometimes we need the armchair quarterbacks in our life. We need people who are mocking and defying to galvanize us, to motivate us, to defend our faith, because I think sometimes in our comforts, in our conveniences, in our luxuries, in our freedoms, in our rights, we've grown soft. I want to tell you, you'll knock down walls in this congregation. You'll knock down barriers. Every giant will fall when this place is filled with people who want to be here and are here for the right reasons, who volunteered for the fight. Would you rather go to war, join a project, or be on a team with somebody who volunteered because they believed in the why behind the what and the how? Because they believed so much in the cause, they signed up to fight or someone who was voluntold. Who's going to dig in when it gets tough? And I would rather lose in a cause that will someday win than win in a cause that will someday lose. Christianity is a cause, not a cruise. Isaiah 6, hear am I, send me. When was the last time you went to your leadership, to God, and said, here am I, send me. Whatever needs to be done. If I need to take out the trash, whatever needs to be, I will do it. Here am I, send me. I am volunteering for service. If you're not doing that consistently and constantly, it's because you don't believe in the cause. You don't believe in why we're here. This story teaches us how to fight the good fight of faith as Paul talked about in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He writes in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6, For though we walk in the flesh... We do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having inner readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is filled. That's how you win the battle. This battle is not on a literal, physical battlefield. The battle is fought in your heart and in your mind. Jesus constantly emphasized our outward actions are a product of our inward thoughts, of who we are on the inside, of the heart that God sees. And if we try to fight these battles carnally, with the carnal worldview and perspective, seeking carnal solutions to our problems, we become part of the problem. And we become the uncircumcised Philistine who cursed God and defied His people. And we learn in this story the importance and the power of truth. David did not... Meet the enemy with fancy weapons and armor and nuclear weapons. He went to him in the name and the truth of the Lord. And I think there's a lesson for us in a time and an age within Christendom where many are losing ground because they've tried every gimmick imaginable to bribe people to come to church, promising them entertainment. And we forget, need to be reminded of where the truth is. The truth is still the gospel that's the power of God into salvation. 1 Samuel 17, as Saul tries to fit David with his armor, and David finally says, I can't go with these. I haven't proven them. I haven't tested them. I've used a slingshot before. (laughs) And there's a lesson in this. We have to go with what God's equipped us with. We all bring something different and unique to the table. But I can't wear your armor. You can't wear my armor. And I want to tell you, God's put more than enough in your shepherd's bag, in your toolbox... In your purse, in your European handbag and satchel to get the job done. And we have to prove and test our weapon. We spend billions of dollars. Where I work, we spend billions of dollars working on weapons and weapon systems and testing them because we don't want to go to battle with untested, unproven weapons. And that speaks to the failure of many Christians spiritually. Be ready to give an answer of the reason of the hope that when have we prepared for that? We tell you the battle is going to be a disaster if we don't get prepared now. Ephesians 6, when we talk about the weapons and the armor God has given us, he talks about being girded with the truth and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We aren't ignorant of Satan's devices because God's given us Satan's battle plan and our battle plan. The breastplate of righteousness protecting our heart and our inner person from self-destructive behavior and decisions... The helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, protecting our heart and our mind, giving us hope, something to hang on to when there's nothing left, when it's all faith from here. And being prepared with the gospel of peace. We talked again about the importance of preparation. David took five smooth stones. Somebody says, well, it doesn't sound like he was too confident. Maybe he wanted to be prepared with what came next. And I want to tell you, whether it's a Bible study or preaching or situations you're going to find yourself in, it's better to be loaded for bear. And to show up with more than enough and to get there and not have what you need. And you know, David stumbled upon this situation. It was unexpected. The only thing certain about life is its uncertainty. And we ought to be reminded of that now more than ever. And so it is with so many moments in our life. Now, I believe our life often is the cumulative effect of small choices that add up over time, certainly. But sometimes there are pivotal Moments and big decisions and big giants that appear before us. And maybe the providence of God is involved. And I know we need to be careful about that. People say, God told me this and God, and it contradicts the word of God and this is a God thing. And I don't always know the what, the why, the when of providence. I believe in the providence of God. And sometimes maybe God has put you in a certain place at a certain time with certain people. Maybe it's your turn in that moment. Maybe it's your turn to rise up and engage the enemy and fight and inspire people by the way you handle terminal illness or relationship problems or addiction or sin or whatever it is you're experiencing in your life. And if we're going to win that moment, we've got to win these moments. We've got to prepare in these moments. If you're going to win tomorrow, you've got to prepare today. Romans 5, 3 and 4, Not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience, experience, and experience hope. Glory in adversity. And if we're to do that, we've had a lot of opportunity to glory in our tribulations in 2020. Why? Because it tests you. It makes you better. It brings out those things in you that you can't see internally, externally. It reveals your true colors. It can bring out the best and the worst in people. And how often have we seen people as they battle with their giant terminal illness, divorce, losing a loved one, burying a child, disappointment in life, loss of job, whatever it is. And we see them handle things that we think that would destroy me. And yet they handle it with such grace and faith. And they inspire us. And it's this adversity that tests us, that prepares us and equips us for better ministry and service and leadership in the kingdom of God, just like it did for David. David. 1 Samuel 17, as we read, the Philistines saw their champion was dead. They fled when they realized if God could deliver this giant man-killer who was undefeated to that point into the hands of a boy, he certainly could deliver their army (laughs) into the hands of his. And so they fled, and we see in verse 52, the men of Israel and of Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines. Look at what David's example and influence did for the army of God. These people that were hiding in the bushes, now they've turned to 180. they flipped a switch and they shout and they pursue the enemy. The historian Josephus talks about how there were roughly 100,000 casualties inflicted upon the Philistines that day. They took Goliath's head back to Jerusalem. That was a practice at the time. They took his sword. It found, his sword found its way into the tabernacle. It was a great victory for Israel. Your attitude, your influence is contagious. There are a lot of Eliabs, there are a lot of Eors, but there aren't many Davids. How is your attitude influencing and inspiring other people to fight the good fight of faith? And that leads to the final lesson we learned from this story that is, the battle belongs to the Lord. 1 Samuel 17, throughout this chapter, you see how often David talks about God and the Lord. The Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, the Lord will deliver thee into my hand, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, but the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. And that's the problem. We often try to fight these battles on our own terms, in our own way, without God. That's all David could talk about. To Saul, to the enemies of God, David knew and had confidence because God was in control. And again, we ought to be reminded of that now more than ever. We aren't as in control as we think we are. And the key to having courage and confidence in this life of adversity is to recognize who is in control. Don't meet the enemy on his terms. David might not could have lifted Goliath's armor. It didn't matter. His God could. David had one advantage in this fight. His God was in control. His God was fighting with him and for him. And when God is in control, the child of God ultimately always wins. So give glory to God. David wasn't concerned that the whole world would know who he was, but he was awfully concerned with that, that the whole world would know who his God was. And that's the key to success. Sometimes we lose sight of who and what we are fighting for, and we make it about us. The key to David's success, I believe, was that God, David saw giants versus God and not giants versus David. When we have things in life that rise up before us that seem insurmountable, 10 feet tall, loneliness, heartache, job loss, COVID-19, whatever it is. And we think, I can't overcome this. I can't handle this. My sin. And maybe you're right. But the truth is, your God can. And the last time I checked, our God was still undefeated. And if we're going to win this fight, if we're going to stay engaged in this fight, this has to be our perspective as well. David looked at his giant, his obstacle as an opportunity and saw it through the lens of God's perspective. And from God's perspective, Goliath was a mortal man defying and mocking an immortal, all-powerful God. And David realized and recognized then that he was very much the favorite, and Goliath didn't stand a chance. And if we will change our focus and our perspective, we can see more clearly, we can fight more effectively. If we will zoom out and look at things in the world the way God sees them, we can dilute our problems and the size of our problems. And I want to do that with you for a moment. As we think about the size of our God in relation to our problems, we can't fully comprehend the size of God. He's not limited. But I think if we consider the size of what He's created, it gives us an illustration then of how much infinitely bigger is the size of the one who created all of this. You think about just our place in God's creation. We're just a speck. Live on. Earth orbiting 93 million miles away from the sun. The sun is so big that one million Earths could fit inside of it, yet the sun is just a moderately sized star. In comparison to the largest stars, you could fit three billion suns in those stars and three quadrillion Earths. that how big it is. Our Milky Way galaxy you see here in the top picture, our place in the Milky Way galaxy, just a speck, and yet the Milky Way galaxy is just one moderately sized galaxy In a universe that contains maybe 2 trillion galaxies. 100,000 light-years in diameter, size of the Milky Way galaxy, yet our universe is estimated to be 93 billion light-years in diameter. To illustrate that, let's suppose you take a quarter, and this quarter represents our solar system. The planets would be specks of dust that you can't even see. Our universe in relation to our solar system would be like the size of the United States of America in comparison to this quarter. That's how big what God has created is, and the size of His creation should cause us to consider and appreciate the size of our God. Isaiah 40, verse 18, To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with Him? God is incomparable. There is no galaxy in God's creation that compares to God. And there ought to be comfort and encouragement in that. It is he who sits upon the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. He stretched out the universe, 93 billion light years in diameter with his own hands. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. And there's encouragement for us because the same God with his mighty hand stretched out the universe, created us, and the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God, will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. The most amazing thing of all is we consider the sovereignty of God, the omnis, omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent, Most amazing thing of all, God in all of His greatness and all of His size and all of His power still chooses to occupy the smallest of places. You and me. And that ought to give us great courage and confidence and faith to face and fight whatever it is that appears before us. Do what David did. Look at the size of your God instead of the size of your obstacle. And when you do... When you zoom out and look at it from God's perspective, there is no giant from God's perspective. If the Earth is his footstool, how big is that giant now? David was God-centered. That's all David could talk about. He didn't say he said one thing about Goliath. He didn't ask about his weapons and his armor, and like we would do, you know how big is he? <laughs> The only thing he said about Goliath is, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who defies God and his people? David wasn't Goliath-focused. He wasn't giant-focused. He wasn't David-focused. David was God-focused. And I want to tell you, that is absolutely the key to success. That is absolutely the solution to all of your problems and the answer and solution to all of your obstacles. When you make it about God and others and not yourself, you will find the strength... And answers to do seemingly impossible things. So don't quit. Don't give up. Never give up, never back down, never lose faith. You are never out of the fight unless you choose to be, unless you choose to quit and roll over and die. Fight for what's right. Fight for your family, fight for your marriage, f- fight for your spouse, your children, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworker, your soul, the souls of others, the lost, the church, this congregation. Fight for the cause. Ride for the brand. And fight for what you believe in. As we offer an invitation... I want to tell you, Satan and your sin will continue to mock you multiple times a day, every day of your life, just like Goliath did, until you stand up and fight back. And you deal with it. You admit that you have a problem and you deal with it. Satan issues a challenge. Christ offers you an invitation. The greatest challenge you could ever accept in your life is to become a Christian by obeying the Lord in baptism, being washed in the blood and resurrected to walk and fight in newness of life and to remain faithful as such. If that challenge is before you, if you want God to deal with a giant sin separating you from Him and reconcile you to Him through the blood of His Son, that challenge is before you, the greatest challenge a person could ever accept. Do you have the courage and the faith to accept it this morning? Satan offers a challenge. Christ offers an invitation. How will you respond? Will you accept the challenge? Please come forward and sit on the front as we stand and sing together.